Hey, my name is Jeff Pruitt, and welcome to Element. Excited to share with you this morning. Uh, there are sermon notes if you want to follow along on the different t- communion tables in the front and in the back, and they kind of have an outline and some questions. Um, and then also, if you did not bring uh, a Bible with you today, there are Bibles in front of in the seat backs in front of you underneath. You can grab one. If you don't have one, please take it with you. We'd love you to have it. And uh, if you have the version, the Bible app on your phone, if you go to more and then events, it'll actually give you all of the passages that we're going to look at this morning and uh, can help you follow along. Um, all right. Well, would you stand with me? And we're going to read from Proverbs chapter four. All right. It starts in verse one. Listen, my son, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Let's pray before we begin. Father God, I just thank you for this chance to be together today. Thank you for being our Heavenly Father, for being the Father that um, we truly need, even when our earthly fathers may fall short. And Lord, uh, we just thank you for the incredible love you have poured out on us. Thank you for giving us your word to guide us. I pray that our time this morning would honor you, that we would be changed because of being here together, because of being in your word, and because of being with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, if we haven't met yet, my name again is Jeff Pruitt, and uh, my wife Kristen and I have been here about a year, and I just love being part of the Element family. My little brother Mark is actually playing keyboards today, and he's been here for quite a while, um, so it's a great connection. Uh, in fact, just the other day, we were driving down Clark by the church, and uh, my daughter, Ellie, who is six, uh, just announced, uh, I'm so happy that we're at Element. And so I asked her, well, why is that? And she said, because they have samples. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for being our Costco on Sundays. Yes. I also want to thank Aaron and the elders just for asking me to share this morning and the honor that it is to, to share God's word with you. Um, It's truly an honor. Well, I already told you a little bit about my daughter. I also have a a son and figures on Father's Day, give him a little airtime too. Uh, Our oldest, Isaac, is now 12. But when he was two weeks old, he went into congestive heart failure. And uh, we were rushed down to the NICU at Cottage Hospital. Um, We spent many nights talking to doctors and looking at our brand new little baby boy, uh, with scared and wide eyes. Um, We found out that he had a rare uh, heart disorder, uh, which was eventually surgically corrected when he was about five. Uh, But let me tell you, that was a wild introduction to parenting uh, for the first five years, and still is. Um, I remember watching my wife in the NICU 
just in complete awe. We were, we're right in the middle of this crazy moment, and she just shifts into this amazing super mom mode and uh, cared for Isaac day to day, was just tender and self-sacrificial with him. Um, even though she had just given birth, I was exhausted and mad at the hospital bed that was uncomfortable and just also felt completely overwhelmed and lost and, and just completely helpless. It was crazy in that moment as a first-time parent. And it was not a fun place. Um, once Isaac was out of that crisis and stable, the the weight of being a parent started to rest on me once we got out of the crazy. Um, started to realize I was responsible for this little life, and there was a lot that went into that. How do you, how do you even start? Where do you begin to prepare a child for life? And how do you help a child really love Jesus? Those are big questions that were weighing on me, and I started to feel a bit overwhelmed again. And I'm sure most of you have had moments in your life that have been overwhelming, where you felt unprepared and, and out of your element, uh, especially if you've been parents. I'm sure it's happened to you. Um, but sometimes I wonder if God gives us those moments just so that we'll remember that we need him. And also, I think he gave us the scriptures because he wants us to remember that we need him, but he also wants to guide us through these overwhelming situations, even parenthood. Well, speaking as a dad who is really still trying to figure this parenting thing out, I want to invite you to just kind of tag along with me on some things that God has been teaching me in the area of being a dad. Please don't think that I have it figured out. I promise you I am still very much learning every day. Um, I'm calling this message Countercultural Fatherhood because it fits right into this series that we're doing at Element called Counterculture. We're calling it that because we believe that God is calling us to be a people who are so in love with Jesus as our rescuer and our redeemer that our lives begin to reflect that same love that we experience from God out to the people around us. And Proverbs presents some just very, very practical ways for us to live that out. And I hope that as we walk through this, it'll be helpful and encouraging to you. So the Bible tells us that King Solomon is actually the author of most of the book of Proverbs. He was one of the wisest men in all of history. um, And he wanted to write Proverbs to pass on some of his wisdom and specifically pass it on to the next generation and to his sons. He starts the book of Proverbs with a series of 10 speeches that go all the way through chapter 9. And there are three really big themes that bubble out of those ten speeches that I really think would change the course of a child's life. And so we're going to look at those three themes, and then we'll look at a fourth lesson that really comes out of Solomon's life as we wrap up. So let's jump in to the first lesson, which is be wise, which Proverbs being a book of wisdom, not surprising, right? So let's look again at the beginning of chapter 4, of Proverbs. It's the beginning of one of Solomon's speeches that I think really anchors the foundation for passing on his wisdom. So I'll read the first three verses. Solomon says, Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. 
For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. So before we keep going, I want to just point out a couple key things to observe. First, notice that Solomon starts out by telling his son to listen to his instruction. It's not just a lecture from Solomon or an angry tirade because his kid is on his nerves. Um, Solomon is really taking the time to teach his children intentionally. He's passing on what he's calling sound learning so that they'll gain good understanding. And I really think today, a dad who's intentional in passing on these kinds of lessons to their kids will stand out dramatically in our culture. The second thing I want you to notice is that Solomon remembers the words of his own father, who happens to be King David, also from David and Goliath, that David. The wisdom in this book is actually being passed down across multiple generations. And I think today it's really common to discount the experience and wisdom of past generations. We, we look at them as out of touch or irrelevant, or sometimes we act like we know better, or like our world is just so different and so complex that whatever our parents learned before is invalid or even just old-fashioned. And yet you see Solomon here honoring the wisdom of his own father and passing it on to his sons, and he's saying it's worth listening to. So I think that's really key for us. So let's look at what did Solomon's dad teach him? In verse 4, we pick up. It says, Then he, who's David, taught me Solomon. And he said to me these words, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Again and again, David is teaching Solomon to be wise, even while he's very young. And David exalts wisdom as something that should be pursued and internalized and then held on to with all your heart. It should be pursued at any cost because David knows that true wisdom really is priceless once you've been able to find it. So this first point is not surprising because we're reading Proverbs, which is about wisdom. But it's so important that Solomon actually spends seven of those ten speeches talking about wisdom. And he focuses primarily on getting wisdom, on what are the benefits of wisdom, and the source of wisdom. He really wants us to get the point that wisdom is really, really important. And in this whole sermon series, if you've been tracking, Aaron has told us several times that wisdom comes slow and knowledge comes fast. Wisdom comes slow and knowledge comes fast. Wisdom comes from applying knowledge correctly, but not just any knowledge can be applied in order to get wisdom, right? There's such a thing as bad knowledge. It's called error. If you apply good knowledge, you become wise. But if you apply bad knowledge, you actually just get a mess. Um, I was reading, and I don't know if you know who Kyrie Irving is, but Kyrie Irving's one of the best basketball players in the NBA right now. He won with the Cavs a couple years ago. Um, 
But in November of last year, Kyrie, in an interview, went on record to say that the world is flat. Which is crazy, right? 2017? And he defended in multiple interviews that he thinks the world's flat and people should really go do their own research to figure it out. So he clearly got some bad knowledge. Um, And that bad knowledge probably came quickly. Somebody told him this. I don't know where he got it. But it doesn't pass for wisdom because it's not correct. It's really, truly an error. Wisdom, on the other hand, right, and it really comes slow. Because in our culture, we're encouraged to seek out wisdom really through our own experiences as our primary path. We don't usually look to others for wisdom, and that usually means we fumble our way to wisdom if we're somehow lucky enough to have things go the right way and notice. Or, more often, we have things go horribly wrong, and the pain of things going wrong teaches us, I don't want to do that again. And that's how we end up gaining wisdom. Well, my dad uh, instilled in me something that I've really held on to, where he said it's always less painful to learn from other people's mistakes. And I hold on to that. (laughs) One of the hallmarks of wisdom really is learning to learn from others, especially their mistakes. That's part of what can speed up our learning But we have to be careful. It doesn't do any good to watch somebody make some horrible mistake and then go do the same thing and just hope we're lucky enough to not have the same consequences follow us, which we do that sometimes. So Solomon spends all this time in these speeches telling his sons to be wise because it really is the foundation for them to live a good life. And I think a countercultural father will also teach his children like Solomon did We need to instruct our kids and especially instruct them to be wise. We need to show them the value of pursuing wisdom and show them the value of making wise choices. We need to show them that they'll really learn the best when they learn to apply wisdom from others to themselves. But I think even more, we need to show them that God is really the true source of wisdom Solomon said it really clearly in his last speech in chapter 9 that a healthy fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. We really grow in godly wisdom the best when we have a right, respectful reverence and awe for who God is. So that's the first major theme of Solomon's teaching, that we're going to teach our children to be wise. Straightforward. The second theme that bubbles out of this is that we need to teach our children to be humble. The first and last speeches from Solomon have some really loud warnings about how important it is to be humble and what comes if you are not. The humble person loves wisdom, but the foolish and the proud repeatedly ignore wisdom. They think they've got it all figured out. They think they can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. They think they don't need God or they don't need other people, but it's really not true. Solomon says this kind of pride and foolishness leads to ruin and destruction in chapter 16. In Proverbs 11.2, instead Solomon says that humility is what actually leads to wisdom. It says this in verse 2, When pride comes, disgrace follows, but with humility comes wisdom. Let's talk about humility just real quickly. Being humble is not saying... 
I'm no good, I'm terrible, I never get anything right, or I'm not worthy. Beating yourself up and pushing yourself down is not actually true humility. That's called false humility. False humility is actually discounting who God has created you to be. And it's actually a twisted form of pride. True humility is viewing ourselves correctly before God and before other people. We recognize our limits and our strengths, but we know that God has given us the talents and abilities and that they're ultimately a gift from Him. So we give God the credit as the source of the good things that we have and are able to do rather than ourselves. We realize we don't know everything, but God does. And we also realize that we're not the source of truth. Truth really starts with God. That kind of humility leads us to what Paul talks about in Romans 12. He says, we are not to think of ourselves more highly than than we ought. And that allows us to treat each other with honor and genuine respect. So how do you treat how do you teach your kids to be humble? I think we teach them to understand that God is really the true source of their gifts and their talents. Remind them over and over of that. We honor their hard work and their diligence, but we teach them to praise God for the abilities that they have. And we teach them to love godly wisdom and to stay hungry to learn. A heart that is learning and loves wisdom will really be humble enough to know that they don't know everything. And they will seek to learn what God has to say about them in the world and so much more. So Solomon's shown us so far, right, that we need to teach our kids to be wise and to be humble. The third major theme that pulls out of these speeches is to be faithful. There's two very stern speeches in this set that are on the impact of being unfaithful with women. Solomon gives example after example of what men lose when they're not faithful to their wives. In chapter 5, verse 9, says that they lose honor. Keeps going, they lose what they have achieved. They lose wealth. They lose health. And they lose freedom because they become captive to the sin that has trapped them. Solomon warns that the temptation to be unfaithful in the area of sexual sin is incredibly seductive. And as I was thinking about it, I think our culture has really perfected a message that says um, we're just wired to act on our impulses and we can't help ourselves but to act on how our natural rhythms have been built in. But Solomon says in chapter 7 that that kind of message, that kind of seduction is actually a trap. And he says that the one who gives in to that message and gives in to that trap is like a stag, right? So think a big uh, deer that's caught. In, and it says it's a stag caught and waiting to be killed. So think about a deer caught in a bush, can't get away, no matter how bad they thrash. Once you're caught, you're caught. And when I read Solomon's warnings on this topic, some things came to mind. One is that he is the child of adultery. Another is that he actually uh, failed to be faithful to his own wife. And so to me, his speeches seem like they're a cry to be faithful 
that come from the pain of experiencing the consequences of sin. And I think he's hoping he can convince his sons to avoid his own failures. How do we help our kids to avoid this kind of pain and really teach them to be faithful? I think there's a couple things. I think we need to teach our boys and girls that sex is a gift from God and that it's designed to be enjoyed within marriage and only within marriage. I think we also need to teach them that God has given us the natural desires that we have and that they're part of who we are. But as soon as we feed those desires, whether it's sexual or anything else, as soon as we feed those desires outside of God's design, everything goes off the rails and it gets very painful. My son is going into junior high this fall, so you can definitely be praying for me as I try to navigate this part of the path. Um, I, like I said, I'm learning with you. All right, so we've looked at these three big lessons that pop out of Solomon's speeches. He's saying that this will greatly increase the odds of a life well-lived if we teach our kids to be wise and be humble and be faithful. Just imagine if we could raise the generation of kids that's here at Element, and they grew up as wise, humble, and faithful adults. It would change the town, at least, right? I mean, it would stand out like crazy. Um, And I think that would be a very God-honoring generation. It would definitely be counter-culture. And I truly believe that teaching our kids to be wise and humble and faithful will set them up for a great life. But it's not a silver bullet. Remember that Proverbs is a book of wisdom, and it's presenting principles and probabilities. It's not presenting promises. And if you follow this pattern... It's likely your kids are going to turn out well, but it's not guaranteed. And I think that's important to remember as you look at Proverbs. And that actually that thought brings us to the very last lesson that Solomon taught, but it's not found in any of his speeches. Solomon's greatest lesson, I believe, is found in his legacy. Sadly, even after being one of the wisest men to ever live and being intentional and passing on his great wisdom to the next generation... Solomon's children didn't take his instruction to heart. They ended up living incredibly wicked lives and tearing apart Solomon's kingdom once he was gone. Well, why did that happen? So I think it's because Solomon violated a principle that will apply to you and I as we try to raise our kids or try to impact anyone else around us. And this is it. When it comes to developing character... We can never lead someone where we have never been. Let me just say that again. When it comes to developing character, we can never lead someone where we have never been. So even though Solomon taught all these great lessons to his children, he didn't live them out in front of them. He violated the exact wisdom he was trying to teach. He was trying, really, to lead them to a place he'd never been. At the end of his life, Solomon's legacy is captured in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 6. And this is what the Bible tells us happened. It says, Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as, his da- as David, his father, had done. So in spite of all of his accumulated wisdom, Solomon didn't wholly follow the Lord. He had a divided heart. 
God had warned Solomon and all of Israel to not intermarry with the cultures that were around their country. And he did it not because of anything about the people, but it was because he didn't want them to be tempted to follow their false gods and be be pulled into that life. Well, Solomon ignored that warning. And he actually had 700 wives represented across all these different nations. His heart then became divided among the gods of his wives. And he began to worship idols while claiming to serve the one true God. It's even listed that he worshipped Molech, who is the, the god that they were doing child sacrifices to. It's just insane what he went and did. His divided heart really taught his children that the lessons of wisdom that he tried to pass on weren't important enough for Solomon to follow. So why should his kids? Well, in that same verse, right, it contrasts David. David's praised for having a heart that's wholly devoted to God. And this is even though David had some huge sins in his life. If you remember, Solomon was actually the result of an affair that David had with a married woman who became Solomon's mother. And when he got caught, David actually tried to cover it up by killing the husband. So David's story is a mess too. But David's story didn't end stuck in his sins. He admitted his sin and chased after God's heart. Because he knew it was better to be broken and desperate with God than to be broken and desperate running from God. And I really think that we need to have an undivided heart like David. We need to be chasing after his heart and that that is the only way that we can actually be wise or humble or faithful. And if our kids see that we're living what we're teaching, then they just might follow our lead. Now, it's okay to be a work in progress. It's okay for our kids to see us growing in these areas and not arrived In fact, I really think it's healthy for them to see our need for God's help along the way. If you're modeling a willingness to grow and an eagerness to grow, your kids will notice. And they'll see that you recognize your need for God in your daily life, and they might realize their need for Him as well. And actually, I think this is right where God wants us. He wants us to realize that we need Him for everything. When we realize how much we need God, it frees us to receive his grace. His amazing gift of redemption, which makes the gospel such great news, isn't for us until we realize we need it. Romans 5.8 describes this good news so beautifully. It says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God in his grace showed his love for us by sending Jesus to die in our place to pay the penalty for our sins. Colossians 2.13 says that Jesus canceled the complete debt of our sin by nailing them to the cross. And he did all of this while we were still sinners. Jesus is really God's greatest gift of grace to all of us. Romans 5.10 says he gave this gift while we were still enemies of God. He reached down to us and he paid the debt that we owed because of our sin and that we couldn't pay. And he now offers us complete forgiveness and restoration. All we have to do is accept that free gift 
of forgiveness and salvation that he's extended to us through Jesus. And then he actually welcomes us into his family forever. Well, just like we can't do anything to save ourselves before God, we also can't produce an undivided heart or lead our kids to live wise lives without God's help. Thankfully, God gives those who believe in Jesus the Holy Spirit who lives through us, right? He helps us produce the character and the actions that honor him instead of the just the junk that we usually crank out on our own, right? He's really waiting for us to recognize that we need his help to transform our lives every bit as much as we needed his sacrifice to rescue us from our sins. I'd like to invite the band to go ahead and come up. And while they come up to lead us to respond in worship, I just want to leave you with three quick actions that you can take to hopefully grow in this area. So, let me start. So the first one is pretty easy. Um, Think about some way that you can share with your kids or your grandkids or your gospel community how you're growing. Just notice how you're growing and find a way to tell somebody about it and show them that you are growing. That's the first one. The second, oh, and then, sorry, part of that is try to make that a habit. Right, Build that into something you just do normally in the rhythm. Is Oh, I used to think this, now I think that. The second one is to read a book. Um, it is surprising that most adults never read a book after college. Uh, so if you read a book this year, <laughs> you're way above average. And if you read a book on uh, helping you to understand your love for Jesus and his grace, then you'll be able to grow in your walk with the Lord, your relationship with the Lord, and you'll be able to lead your children in that pursuit of falling in love more and more with Jesus. In order to lead them to that place, though, you have to keep growing too. Um, I'm sure you uh, that I can, whoops. I could give you recommendations um, on some great books, and Aaron and the other elders could also give you some great recommendations. Um, the third piece is catch a parent doing something right and encourage them. Um, parenting's overwhelming, like I shared, but it's also it's challenging, as many of you know. So if you see somebody doing something right, encourage them. I think that's a great way to pass on the wisdom of prior generations is when you recognize something good happening. So three really simple things. Share how you're growing with your kids. Pick a book to read to keep growing in your walk with God and in your love for his grace. And then the third is catch somebody doing something right as a parent and encourage them. All right, well, during the next few songs, we're going to invite you to take communion. And uh, there's tables at the front and in the back that you are welcome to um, come up during the songs and do that. I want to just make a couple comments. So one thing about communion is it's not magical. Uh, it doesn't do anything special. But we take communion to remember that Jesus' body was broken on the cross for us to pay for our sins. It's a reminder. We break a cracker to remind us that Jesus died for us. And then we dip the cracker in the grape juice or the wine that's up front to remind us that Jesus' blood was the price that it took to pay for the penalty of our sins. And it was a complete payment. All of our sins have been paid for, and they've been forgiven, 
And we are now offered freedom in Christ. It costs Jesus his life, but it's free to us. There are also some great folks in the back who would love to pray with you. If you need help as a parent, if you want to understand who Jesus is better, they would love to meet you and pray with you in the back. And there are offering boxes on the sidewalls and and in the back. We don't pass a plate or ask for donations. We give as God leads us to give. Let's pray as we continue in worship. Lord, I just thank you for first saving us, for pursuing us with a fatherly love that is beyond anything we could see even in earth. And Lord, I thank you for being our Heavenly Father um, and showing us what true love looks like. Thank you for giving us wisdom in the people who have gone before us. But most of all, thank you for being the source of truth and wisdom. I pray, Lord, that you would help me and all of us to have an undivided heart, that we would seek you first, that we would love to grow in understanding your grace and understanding and experiencing your love on a daily basis. God, we just thank you for this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.